Well, good morning, church. I, I never really imagined that trying to open communion was going to be like me trying to open up a noisy chip bag uh, in an otherwise quiet room. And then when you try to, to get ready for the, the cup, it sounds more like, you ever remember being in those rooms where they try to do that rain thing where you're kind of going across and there's these little, you're making difference. Anyway, am I the only one who felt that way when you're listening to that? Uh, it's, it's a different experience, all right. Uh, we are starting uh, this morning a new message series uh, that's focused on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And I have a confession to make. I, I chose to preach on this because uh, of all the books in the New Testament, this just might be my favorite. It's encouraging. Uh, it's, it's uplifting. It's, it's filled with reasons for hope. It's reassuring. And I can't speak for anyone else right now, but I know that I could use a word of encouragement right now. I know that I need to be reminded of the reasons for my hope, and I know that I would appreciate some reassurance. But I also want to tell you that as comforting as the message of Philippians can be, it's more than comforting, it's also convicting. And let me explain. The Apostle Paul is wanting to share a message that's that's near and dear to his heart, a message of how Jesus can bring us joy in the midst of an anxious world. But that joy is something that we experience if, right? There's, there's some conditions to it. And he talks about the fact that, look, even when the world might feel like it's, it's crashing down around us, we're supposed to be the people who remain committed, right? Who hold on to our promise to be to be followers of Christ who allow his self-sacrificing way of life shape our lives. And that if we will keep that commitment, if we'll, we'll keep that promise to answer Christ's call, to live for the sake of others, even when so much about our lives is unclear, if, if we'll hold on to this challenge that Christ gives us to, to be there for others, even when that connection, that presence comes at great cost to us, even if we will hold on to Christ's mission, we will find that in the midst of all of our, our trials and difficulties, that we will join together with God, we will join together with our fellow Christians, and we will help build a better future, not just for some of us, but for all of us. If we do all that, Paul says, then in finding the strength to persevere, we will experience this amazing joy that, that nothing in this anxious world of ours can ever take away. And, and what I want you to understand is it's not like the Apostle Paul is, is just talking about this, kind of throwing out theoretical advice, uh, kind of sort of hoping that it might be true, that it might work. He, he's speaking from personal experience. He knows what he's talking about because he's living what he's talking about. I mean, if we could go back a couple of thousand years, we would find that Paul isn't writing this letter to the Philippians from some, you know, nice, comfy, peaceful place. He's not on a beach somewhere sipping lemonade while he writes Philippians. He's writing from prison. He's writing this letter while he's in chains. Now, we're not exactly sure where he's in prison at this point. We can't talk with great specificity about the exact prison he's in and what it was like to be there. But regardless, we can know that when you're in prison, it's not pleasant. 
And it's from that place that he's talking about holding on to our commitments, holding on to our faith, and experiencing this kind of joy. And when you think about how challenging it has been for us over the course of the the past three months as we're dealing with this whole COVID-19 sheltering in place situation, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be stuck in an open-ended prison sentence. Right? He, He has no idea what's going to happen next. He has no idea how it's going to turn out. Think about how that would impact you. Well, what would you do with that kind of loss of control? How would it affect your faith? And I want you to think about that last question especially because it's not as if Paul is in prison. It's not like he's in jail because he committed some horrible moral crime against someone else. He's in jail because the powers that be, the authorities in the Roman Empire, simply don't know what to do with him. He keeps traveling throughout the empire and starting these little communities that are centering their way of life on this Jesus who, as best they can tell, these Roman authorities, Jesus is some kind of religious revolutionary who wants to change the world. Now, when you're the ones running the world and someone else is saying that they're going to change the world, you get threatened, you get defensive, you get nervous. So they don't know what to do with Paul. They know they need to buy themselves some time, and they they know that they don't exactly have a plan, so they throw him in jail, and they try to figure out what they're going to do next. Now, I have a confession to make on top of just choosing this letter as something that we're going to focus on together, and that other confession is this, that if the sole reason for my suffering was my faith— If the only reason for my suffering was my faith, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't take me all that long to come to a crisis of faith, right? I'd come to the place where I'd start to wrestle with, uh, is this all really worth it? In the moment of realizing the kind of sacrifice I would have to make to to follow in that self-sacrificial way of Jesus, I would start to count the cost all over again. And yet what we find time and again with Paul is that when he gets to that place where, where I would struggle to hold on to that commitment, he's even more sure that it's absolutely worth it. He doesn't, he doesn't doubt for a moment that he wants to be someone who experiences the life of Jesus even if it makes his life incredibly difficult, even if it makes his life incredibly challenging, he believes it's the best possible way to live your life. Now, he doesn't only want to have that kind of confidence for himself. He wants to share it, which is why he's writing this letter to this church in in Philippi. He wants them to understand that they can and they should share in that same confidence because even though they aren't stuck in prison, Even though they're not going through exactly what Paul is going through, they are absolutely facing their share of suffering and struggle and strife. And he wants to help. He knows that they're losing their focus. He knows that they're struggling with doubts and distractions. And so he he wants to write to them from his own moment of, of sorrow and suffering and pain to say, it's worth it. He he's trying to give them something to hold on to. And so it's with that background that I want us to listen to these opening words uh, in Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll start reading together in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Another way to translate that is to discern what really matters. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now there are a lot of different ways that you could organize this opening passage of of all that that Paul's trying to communicate. But I think that the most direct way, the clearest way for me to think about it is that Paul is intentionally trying to touch on the past and the present and the future. Right, so he starts out with the past, and he says, you know, every time I remember you, every time I think about the relationship that we share, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of gladness and joy because of, of the relationship that Jesus has made possible for us to share in together, and because of all the grace that we have experienced together, because we don't just relate to one another, but all of us are caught up together in our relationship with Jesus. And he talks about how that brings him comfort in a place that has to be incredibly challenging and uncomfortable as he thinks about this good work he talks about that, that started from the very beginning, right? From the first day, this, this good work that, that they have shared in together. He wants them to understand that it's not just good work, it's God's work. It's God's work in them and through them and for them. And And then he shifts from focusing on the past to talking about how that that good work, it's not just something that God used to do, it's something that God is still doing, right? It's ongoing work, it's present work. The God who who called the Philippians on that first day to, to partner with Paul in the gospel, he says, look, God is calling you still, to be there for me, and, and in new and unexpected ways. They, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen in Paul's life and ministry. They knew it was going to be challenging. They knew it was going to be tough at times, but they didn't know it was going to go exactly this way. And Paul says, even though you don't know whether I'm going to be in chains or I'm going to have an opportunity to defend and proclaim the gospel, no matter what it is, you all find a way to be there for me. You find a way to support me. And I want to tell you what kind of impact your presence has made in my life. And then he says, look, it's been so important to me that I don't think it's accurate for me to say that that it's my own love that I feel for you. Right? It's it's not just the, the strength and the power of Paul's love that he feels for them. He says, no, somehow, some way, God has made it possible for me to love you the way Jesus loves you. To see you the way Christ sees you. 
And so he doesn't love with his own power and strength, but he says, I love you. The affection I feel for you is the power and the strength of Christ himself. Now, what is Paul supposed to give to people? These spiritual companions that that have blessed him, both in the past and the present, they've, they've been faithful to both him and to God. What do you give to people like that? Well, you try to give them a certain kind of future. Now, Paul doesn't believe he can give them that future on his own, so he does the best thing he knows to do. He asks God to give them a certain kind of future. Okay, and it's a future that is shaped and sustained by love. Now, it's not just any kind of love. You say, well, it's Christ's love. Okay, well, it's even more specific than that. Paul says, I want you to have a life that is shaped and sustained by a love that has its eyes wide open. A love that as it moves through the world helps you see and recognize the truth when you encounter it. A love that helps you be able to discern what really truly matters versus what just seems like it matters in the moment. Right? He, he's praying for a love that gives them this, this wisdom perspective to understand where they should actually go and how they should actually spend their lives and the kinds of decisions they really need to be making. Paul prays that the, the Philippians are going to have lives that are marked by sincerity and integrity in a world that's filled with counterfeit character and unconscious hypocrisy. And in that regard... The world from a couple thousand years ago sounds a lot like the world we're living in right now. Right in the midst of that, to live true, authentic lives where they really are honest with themselves and they're honest with God. And somehow through all of that, God is able to bring about this change, this transformation where they every single day become a little less like themselves and a little more like their Savior. And he asks that God would help them do all of this, that God would help them do everything, not for their own fame and glory, but for the glory and the praise of God. Now, that is what Paul is saying in the first 11 verses of Philippians. And we listen to it, and we understand how important it is that he shares this message with them. And it's here at this point where I always feel like, as I'm studying a New Testament letter that's come from a couple thousand years ago, You know, it's like I'm reading someone else's mail. And we are, in some ways, reading someone else's mail, but we're not only reading someone else's mail. Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, these words in Paul's letter to the Philippians are also addressed to us. Right? They're also meant for us. And in many ways, ways that we don't fully understand, they're words that are also about us. Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to say is that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, these words are about you. They're about your past and your present and your future. And what Paul's trying to say is, look, I understand sometimes when it feels like the world's falling apart and it's hard to see anything for what it really is and it's hard to see other people for who they truly are, you may start to doubt whether or not God is present and at work in our world. And he says, I want you to remember that even before you were able to grasp anything or understand anything, God was already faithfully hard at work in your life. And that even if you have too many distractions and too many worries and too many concerns right now, to see it clearly, God is faithfully at work in this present moment. 
And even if your future is filled with uncertainty and questions and you have no sense of what's going to happen next, you can know this, that God is already faithfully working towards that future for you. And what is this work of God? Right, well, Paul gives us a sense of what, what does it mean for God to be hard at work in our lives, in our past, in our present, in our future. Well, God's work is always to love, to heal, to forgive, to empower. God's work is always to, to redeem and to reconcile and, and to reclaim, to recreate. God's work is always to come into our daily lives and carry us. To carry us not just through the best moments of our life, but especially to carry us through the worst moments we have ever faced before. And somehow in the midst of everything that happens to us, we trust that whether it's good or it's bad, that God has this amazing, miraculous power to use the good and the bad together to make us more like Jesus. And that we have to be committed to that. That redeeming, transforming journey, just like the Philippians, we have to decide, are we going to join together in this soul-deep partnership in the gospel to believe that the promise of the gospel is that we don't just benefit from Jesus, but we become more like Jesus? That's God's work. From the first day to this day, Paul says, and then until the day Christ comes back to take us all home. The Apostle Paul is telling us right now, right in this very moment, that we can and we, we need to be absolutely confident in God's work, in our world and in our lives, when we can't honestly be confident in anything else. And I would say that's a pretty accurate description of this present moment. Paul says, when you feel like you can't be confident in anything, you can and you should be absolutely confident in this. That God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That he will constantly be our companions along the way. That we will find a way, even when we feel alone. And Paul is struggling with feeling alone. I mean, he's got people around him in his life, but here he is, trapped in prison. He's not sure how long he's going to be there. The Philippian Christians have found a way to help him understand that he's never alone. And Paul says, that is who God is empowering you to be. Lean into that with all of your heart. Look, and it matters so much to me, at least. It matters that Paul is saying all of this from prison without knowing what's going to happen next and if he's ever going to get out. I mean, I know he's not facing a global health crisis and worldwide economic insecurity and complex cultural racial justice issues, but he is absolutely facing his own trials and difficulty and challenges. In other words, when Paul writes this letter, He's writing from a place where he understands how you and I are feeling right now. He knows how we feel. He knows what we're going through. And he is reminding us and reassuring us from that place. He has this God-given, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-inspired advice. And the advice is to remember, to embrace, and to anticipate. 
right? He, he says, I want you to remember God's past faithfulness. I want you to embrace God's faithfulness now, and I want you to anticipate God's future faithfulness. Now, why does he ask us to do all that? Because that's how we're going to find this joy that we're desperate to experience. If we will remember and embrace and anticipate, we will get to this experience of of real and lasting joy. And it's important to modify the word joy that way because we're not talking about momentary joy. We're not talking about surface level joy. We're not talking about manufactured joy. We're talking about indestructible joy. Real and lasting joy. And real joy doesn't depend on our situation. Real joy carries us through any situation. Lasting joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Lasting joy comes from our Christ. That is what Paul is trying to get us to see. That is what Paul is trying to get us to understand and to hold on to. And he doesn't just want us to to learn about that joy. He wants us to live it. I was diagnosed with cancer when Lauren was six months pregnant with Riley, our firstborn daughter. And over the course of the next few months, I ended up having to go through three surgeries, and then I had this strange medical condition where I ended up getting down below 130 pounds, and I went through all kinds of scans and tests, and then you know how it is if you've ever had to have those kinds of scans and tests. You wait for hours that feel like years for the doctor to call in and tell you what the results of those tests are and and what your prognosis is, And, and without a doubt, that season of my life was the most difficult stretch of time I've ever had to get through. If you know me at all, you know that I'm a worrier by nature. And, and what that means is that often, not all the time, but often, my mind was busy racing in a hundred different directions, racing towards worst case scenarios. And if I'm honest, I wasn't just worried, I was afraid. Uh, late at night when I couldn't find a way to fall asleep. I I wasn't just a little afraid. I was as afraid as I've ever been in my entire life. One of the worst outcomes that I could imagine with my, my wife expecting our first child is that I was going to die before I got to meet my little girl. And I didn't want to just meet her. I I didn't want to just get to hold her for those first few seconds and I wanted to share life with her. Right? And so I found myself often wrestling with any sense of, of being able to be at peace, with, with any sense of being able to settle my racing mind and my racing heart down. And yet in the midst of all of that difficulty, I can tell you with absolute confidence this morning that I never, ever felt alone during that time. I had hundreds of people all over the place who were praying for me, and I know they were praying for me because not only did they pray for me, but they took the time to write into cards and notes what they were praying for. So I would get all of these different notes throughout the the week, throughout the months that I was in the midst of that cancer battle, and people would be talking to me about their prayers for God to, to work a miracle of healing in my life. I had people call me and I could hear the strength and the power of their own faith as they encouraged me to hold on to my own faith. 
I had people from our church family there in Dallas. They did everything they could to support us. And so people would just show up and they would ask if they could visit. And they would, would try to do their best to speak words of reassurance and hope to my troubled heart. We had people that would just show up with meals and say they couldn't stay, but they wanted to be there for us. We had other people who, I don't know if you know this about me either, I'm not only a natural worrier, I'm not natural at doing anything that you need to do to repair a house. And so anything that we needed done, people would find a way to help us. You doing okay? It's okay. I promise it's okay. Don't, please don't worry. It's okay. And so in the midst of all that, right, people found a way to be there to be Christ to me. And, and while it was the most difficult thing I've ever been through, I never felt alone. I mean, Lauren, who was in her third trimester of pregnancy, which I've never been pregnant, but I hear the third tri- trimester is pretty hard, right? You know, every, all these doctor's appointments, all the surgeries, all the tests, all those nights I couldn't sleep, she was there for me. My family found a way to come out and be there, stay with us. Lauren's family found ways to hold us up. They, they found ways to hold us together even when everything in our lives was, was threatened, even when it felt like so much of what we were experiencing was gonna cause us to fall apart. Through all of that, God was faithful. God was faithful through his people. And I think back to that experience, knowing that, that through it all I was never alone, and, and it really was, without a doubt, the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. I would have never chosen it. I wouldn't choose it for anyone else. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But I look back at that moment, and I, I realize just how much there was this joy underneath everything else, this holy contentment that didn't come from me, It came from God. It came from Christ. It came from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't some kind of fleeting happiness that you experience when everything's happening just the way you want it to. It was something much bigger and better than that, right? It was this sense, this soul-deep sense that whatever good I had in my life, it was more important, it was more powerful than the bad I was facing. It was this firm, solid foundation of hope that was stronger than the fears that I I would feel, especially late at night when I didn't know where else to turn. Suddenly, I would have this experience of hope that I couldn't explain away, and I honestly couldn't explain to anybody else. It it was a peace that I was able to, to hold on to, even when I didn't understand, right? It was that peace that passes understanding. When I had more questions than answers, I still had a peace. It was this This absolute conviction, this confidence that while I would have given anything for God to just magically take it all away at any given moment, instead what God was doing was joining me in the midst of that fight. And because God was with me in the midst of that fight, I knew somehow, some way I was going to win. I was going to overcome. Now that... That indestructible joy, that's what Paul wants us to believe. It's not just possible for him, but for every single one of us who is in Christ. He wants us to believe that that kind of indestructible joy is something that doesn't just happen for other people, but it can happen for me. It can happen for you. And and he doesn't want us to just stop at believing in it. He wants us to seek it. 
He wants us to search for it. He wants us to reach out and when we find it, to embrace it, to hold on to it, and to never let it go. And I want to tell you this morning, the reality is it's been over 10 years that I've been blessed to live cancer-free. And it takes work for me to remember what that joy felt like. Because while I should have embraced it, and while I should have found a way to hold on to it with every fiber of my being somewhere along the, the line in the last decade through busyness and distraction and honestly probably things going my way far too often for my own good, where I start expecting things to just turn out the way I want them to, the last three months have reminded me that I'm not going to get through these kinds of experiences on my own strength and power alone. I need the presence of Jesus in my life that brings me that joy no matter what. I've experienced it before and I somehow forgot. And I know there's other people in this room and, and watching at home. You've experienced that joy before. You've been carried by that joy before, and somehow, as time has passed, you've let go of it. And maybe you're someone who has never experienced that joy before, and what Paul is trying to speak to us this morning is, reach for it. Seek it out. Open up your heart to that reality, because it's there for the taking. God always wants us to experience not just his nearness and not just his presence, but the, the gladness, the rejoicing that his presence can bring. And if we've ever needed reason for joy, if we've ever needed an experience of indestructible joy, it's right now. And so I encourage you in the coming days and weeks and months, while we don't know what's going to happen next, we know that the promise of God is that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. Why wouldn't we stop and pray and seek it out. We need to be a community of joy in an anxious world. We don't want to just experience it for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, through embracing it, we want to embody it. We want to be a source of God's joy in an anxious world. We're going to sing together in just a moment. And as we do, I just I want you to think about when have you tasted that joy before? And ask for God to let you experience it again. And if you never have, ask for God to help you taste it for the first time. And when you experience it, brothers and sisters, hold on to it with all the strength you have. Hold on to it. And you will find that God gives you a greater and deeper strength than you've ever experienced before. I know we haven't done this the last couple of weeks, but can we stand and sing? Okay, let's stand and sing. Mark. Mark.